Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good friend, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, doing well. Yeah. Uh, caught up on my jet lag after my trip over to London um, about a week or so ago. Successful trip. It was nice to go over the pond. Um, it can't be much different for you flying to London than it is like flying to California, right? You know what it is? It's the time difference thing. So it's a five hours. The, the flight is a little longer. Like it, it's about an hour longer from Boston to London than it is to go, say, Boston to San Francisco. Yeah. But it's the, um, well, A, I took a red eye on the way out there. So that messes yeah. you up entirely. But then it's also, it's five hours between Boston and London and only three to the West Coast in the US. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, that um, extra two really gets you, huh? Yeah, it kind of does. But you know, I'm back on uh, East Coast time now I'm feeling normal, but it was a really good trip. Great, great, you know, good event. The weather, this is two years in a row, I've been in London where the weather has been in the 70s and sunny in the fall. And that's, you know, no rain at all. And it was just uh, so I don't know if I'm just charmed or what. But it yeah, was maybe uh, we should like uh, sell your services to yeah. you know, the London Chamber of Commerce. Be like, yeah. hey, every time she visits, you yeah, got so great the, weather. The skies are open. It's beautiful and sunny. But yeah, all, all good. All good there. So uh, I'm back here, back here to talk with you. Great, great. Well, I am glad that you made it back. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. We're going to dive deeper into cybersecurity. On the last episode, we walked through our latest report. And like we usually do with these large reports, you know, we collect our data and we look at things from our analyst chairs, but it's always good to get some input from the field. Uh, so we've got a guest with us today who will uh, bring us some great insights from everything that he's seeing in the field of cybersecurity. We have Chris Cochran, who is the co-founder of Hacker Valley Media and the advisory CISO at Huntress. So Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Chris, we uh, talked on our, our last episode through the report, like I was saying, and we've got kind of these four sections of, of the report with policy, process, people, and, and product. So, you know, we, we saw some data coming back, but like I said, we'd love to hear kind of what you're seeing and your experience and what you're hearing from other people that are working in cybersecurity. And I guess if we just kind of start real general, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing? Like when you see people trying to implement cybersecurity or trying to understand what modern cybersecurity looks like, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see companies facing as they're going through that process? Yeah, I'd say it's a kind of a two-pronged challenge, right? There's the practitioner side and then there's the attacker side. On the practitioner side, a lot of small to medium-sized businesses, they don't really have cybersecurity folks on their teams. They might have someone that leads IT, that might have some cybersecurity responsibilities, but cybersecurity isn't their first language. And so sometimes I think we kind of mystify cybersecurity a little bit. Um, I think we're getting better. I think it's becoming more accessible. Cybersecurity is becoming a uh, kitchen table topic uh, these days, but I still think there's a little bit of uh, a gap in understanding of what cybersecurity is and how to implement cybersecurity. And so I think that's just going to continue to evolve and change. Folks are starting to learn more, right? How, how do you enable uh, multi-factor authentication? How do you do things like incident response? Because even if you don't have someone that's full-time cybersecurity, you still need to be able to respond to incidents as they happen. On the attacker side, honestly, some of the things that I've seen is it's becoming a bigger business, right? 
back in the day, it was kind of these lone hackers or maybe smaller uh, groups. And then, of course, you had your nation states. But now you have criminal organizations that they are so mature these days. They have their own call centers, right, for help desk for folks to pay ransomware. They have uh, ransomware as a service, right? You don't have to necessarily know all the bits and bytes if you're a criminal to be able to do ransomware type stuff. They have things like a call for papers. Uh, where they're looking for research that other criminals are doing these days. So it's really becoming like a big, big business, honestly. The reason why there's it's becoming more difficult, the reason why we're seeing more attacks, the reason why we're having more hackers is because it's more accessible, right? Even though it's more accessible on the practitioner and the civilian side, it's also becoming more accessible on the criminal side as well. Mm. I, I wanted to maybe dig in just a little deeper on those two things that you mentioned, because I think they tie into conversations that we've had a lot in the past. So you talked about small businesses and that they don't always have maybe the cybersecurity acumen or the skills in-house. But one thing that we, I think, have all seen historically is that small businesses tend to think that they might be immune from this, you know, that the, right. the bad guys aren't coming for them. But to your other point, where this is becoming a big business, I think part of becoming a big business means that they can spread those attacks out more and they don't have to target the biggest uh, you know, fish in the pond anymore. They, they can just go uh, broad and, and there can be anywhere that would be profitable to them. And, and so do you see small businesses kind of understanding that scenario now? Uh, and so the, the understanding... Uh, is is grown and they no longer think that they're immune to it, but it's more of a skills gap problem. Is, is that kind of how you would describe the situation? I speak to different small businesses just about every single day. And honestly, more often than not, they feel like they're not a target because they are a small business. Oh, who would want my data? We're just a seven person shop. Uh, no one's going to want the data that I have or the money that I have. But that's erroneous thinking because when you think about the advent of artificial intelligence, you think about the advent of automation, these criminal actors, they're just trying to get everyone, right? Anywhere they can find money, that's where they're going to target. And if they can utilize things like uh, third-party exploitation, where they're looking at uh, systems that other people use and be able to get into their networks that way, they're going to do it. And so if you're leveraging things like cloud infrastructure, if you're leveraging things like web applications, if you're connected to the internet in any way, you can become a target no matter how small you are. So we almost have to, I don't want to index on fear, uncertainty and doubt, but there is a little bit of awareness that has to come in when you're looking at, hey, I'm a small business, no one's going to target me. That's not correct. They're going to look at every, they're going to leave no stone unturned and they're going to come after your data and they're going to come after your money. Yeah, clearly the the sort of corporatization of the the hacker networks that are out there um, makes them they're they're casting a very wide net as you're right. describing. It's like we'll cast the biggest net possible and see what we can lure in. Um, and the, and the thing that I think that a lot of small businesses don't get is that or don't think about is while they may not think that they are big enough to be a target. Um, they are, first of all. Mm -hmm. But second of all, if they are a target, they're, they're the number one type of company that will go out of business because of it. So, you right. know, a larger firm has the resources, the internal staff to mitigate immediately, to pay ransomware, to do whatever it is they need to do to make sure that their company survives a bad breach. Whereas a small seven to 10 shop, like you said, right now, that could be it. You know, we're saying right. that's, you know, that is it 
for you. So that brings us to the next topic. I think we really want to want to discuss with you, and, um, and it's a big part of our report. And is that the it's the importance really right now um, when you're thinking about your cybersecurity strategy of doing a really good risk analysis um, mm-hmm. and doing that sort of cost benefit analysis on on where you're willing to take risk because we can't. I mean, cybersecurity is going to be a perennial problem, and you mm-hmm. can never you can never account for 100% of the potential vulnerabilities. So where do you put your money and where do you decide to fortify yourself? So wanted to ask you a bit about, you know, that part of the strategy and how important it is um, to do risk analysis and whether you're seeing that and, and in what ways with the types of customers and others that you're talking to out there in the marketplace. Absolutely. And there's a spectrum to risk analysis, right? You could get to the point where every single type of incident that you can conceptualize, you can put a dollar amount to it. And people feel one way or the other about being able to put dollar amounts to those types of attacks. But you could get as simple as like an OODA loop, right? I come from uh, the United States Marine Corps. Uh, The OODA loop, we use it in combat. And I think it's just as important to leverage the OODA loop in cybersecurity, right? You have to observe what's going on out there in the world. Are your uh, are, uh, organizations in your industry being targeted, right? Oh, yep, they are. So what, what do I need to take from that? Then you go from the O, the observe, to the other O, which is uh, orient. You have to orient yourself to that battle space. Like, all right, so we use these types of technologies. Uh, we have these types of attackers that are looking for our particular type of data uh, they're looking to affect our so if we want to take an example we could look at something like healthcare right it seemed like for a while there was a little bit of um, a morality to some of the attacks like oh we're not going to mess with hospitals but now with everyone having access to some of these uh, ransomware as a service or other things where it's easier to target anyone uh, some of these criminals they don't care they're they're going to attack uh, those healthcare organizations whether there is the potentiality of, of loss of life or not and so when you think about it from that perspective orienting yourself to the threat is super important then you have to make that decision right are you going to uh, are you going to make a decision to mitigate the threat are you going to invest in whatever it is right? People need to do critical uh, asset analysis or crown jewel analysis to figure out what's important. If your company was going to show up in the news tomorrow, what might that headline read that you would would be a worst case scenario, right? Uh, loss of uh, customer data, or is it uh, maybe uh, being completely dosed and not being able to uh, service your clients? Maybe it's uh, some type of defamation, you know, your classic uh, loss of integrity. You have to figure out what is the most important things to you. Are you going to be able to cover everything? Probably not. Most organizations, they're running pretty lean when it comes to cybersecurity and IT. And so you have to figure out what are the worst case scenarios that you're going to have to um, uh, to figure out. And then that final act, you figure out what you're going to do. Once you make those decisions, you might prioritize them and say, okay, these are the most important things we care about. If we had more people, processes, or technology, we could get to these other things, but we want to make sure that we cover this at a minimum. You just taught me a new acronym, though. I just got an OODA loop, and I, I just like the way it sounds, so I'm going to yeah. say yeah. Yeah, yeah not, not only is it good best practice for everyone to follow, but it's incredibly fun to say. So yeah, it I'm sounds like incorporate that into all of my webinars from now on. <laughs> big old bowl of OODA loops. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, it sounds like a breakfast cereal, but yeah, yeah I like it. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's great because there, there's sort of this progression of cybersecurity maturity, right? Maybe starting from thinking that you're not even a target at all 
to realizing that you need to do something, but whatever you've done, you feel like that's good enough. You're kind of like, okay, if I haven't mm -hmm. been breached, if I haven't had a cybersecurity incident, then whatever I'm doing is good enough. You really don't have the metrics around that. And I think that's where, you know, risk management or an OODA loop or whatever it might be, you know, something to put metrics around it to kind of say, how do we know that we're doing a sufficient job and, and how do we want to measure the amount of investment that we want to put in? Because, mm -hmm. you know, you can never have perfect security. You can never eliminate every risk. It's just going to be a business decision, you know, for every company, but there has to be some kind of process around that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think we're seeing risk management as being one of the things that is hopefully going to drive a lot of cybersecurity discussions and get people to a greater stage of maturity. Um, and that's, you know, a skill that a lot of companies will need to build up. And cybersecurity skills is obviously something that CompTIA has been focused on for a long time. And like we mentioned on the last episode, it was really interesting to see that cybersecurity skills kind of rose to the top uh, in terms of the challenges that companies were facing. It used to be this notion that everything was good enough, that, you know, cybersecurity pros were kind of fighting that mindset in that their organization, and they're definitely still fighting it. But now I think they're making some progress with that. And so skills become the next thing that has to be fixed in order to have yeah. good cybersecurity. So with that said, you know, Chris, what are some of the primary skills that you see as being in demand uh, out there in workplaces? Yeah, I wanted to talk, uh, touch on what you said about being good enough. And honestly, I think it's a bit scarier than that because now you're saying, uh, in most cases, if there's an organization, we're going through a tough economic uh, situation here in the world. And if it's good enough now, they might think, well, maybe we can invest a little less in cybersecurity. Maybe we can trim some of that budget and push it other places. Maybe we can send it to the sales organization or maybe we could push it to finance. But I think that would be a mistake as well, because even if you just said, hey, this is good enough, we're not going to continue to grow and progress, you're putting yourself at risk. If you're going to say, hey, we're going to protect our organization less, that could be even riskier. Now, I'm not saying that you have to err on the side of security at the cost of the business, right? Because if the business isn't profitable, you're going to run into trouble. But when you look at something like training, when you look at something like the skills that your practitioners have, uh, it's a constantly evolving scenario in cybersecurity. I remember when cybersecurity could be pretty much run by one person because everything was on-prem. You might have had a, a fancy server somewhere that you had to, to figure out, but now the attack surface is completely widened. You have applications, you have cloud, you have all these different things that you have to figure out. Bring your own device, right? People are working remotely. They're, you know, now you're thinking about things like Zero Trust, which was a big uh, component to the report you all put together. There's all these different aspects of cybersecurity these days, and you can't just have one master of one that covers everything. People are going to have to learn different pieces to that cybersecurity puzzle. You have people that are focused on compliance. The people that are good at compliance aren't going to be, might not be the same people that are good at things like threat hunting or incident response. You're going to have to continue to let your people evolve, grow, change, because technology is going to continue to grow and change. The threat is going to continue to grow and change. So I would say some of the skills uh, I would say that leveraging things like artificial intelligence, right, generative AI, not just from a content perspective, but even from a coding perspective, being able to use things like that, because I'll tell you what, the, the threat, the enemy, they are use, utilizing AI to do their work. And so if they're going to have this Iron Man suit built around them, we need to continue to build the Iron Man suit around the folks that work with us. Um. 
I'm thinking as you're talking here about how how the the level of skill and the the number of skills um, have just proliferated in terms of cybersecurity. You said it, you know, it used to be the one, you know, one person could handle it on an on-prem environment. And, uh, and that's just radically different now based on all the reasons that you just uh, elaborated on. And so a lot of companies, um, especially smaller ones, um, have a very small IT department internally, mm -hmm. or they don't have one at all. And so right. that brings us to sort of the, you know, how do they fill the skills needs that they have and make sure that they are, have a good, robust security posture for their company, even if they've got limited resources internally. And a lot right. of them do turn to third parties. So we're talking about yep. the channel air cybersecurity experts. So tell us a little bit about what companies um, are doing with respect to third parties. Are they using them? What they should be looking for in particular. So if you're going to go out and say, I'm going to think I'll contract with an MSP or some other mm -hmm. cybersecurity professional or to some of the things that are keys because I think the channel's kind of finding its way now too because it used to be that cybersecurity was a discipline that was attack on to the other things that they sold and did and now right. it's becoming much more of a specialized focus for a lot of these companies um, so we're trying to bring the two together here what from the end user community do they need to be looking for in a provider and what are you seeing from providers today in the channel are they changing the way that they approach cybersecurity hundred percent. In fact, I got a lot of flack from a post that I posted maybe a month and a half, maybe two months ago, because I said that MSPs are one of the ways for the 99%, right? We're talking below enterprise level folks are able to do cybersecurity because like you said, they're running relatively lean. They might have one person on IT, but you're putting them in charge of IT and security, which is like an incredible job. And so they're going to have to get help. And when I put out that post, I said, hey, you know, we need MSPs, we need MSSPs to help us out, especially with the 99%. People say, oh, that's not the only way to help them out. And I said, well, please educate me on how else these organizations are going to be able to do it. Are you telling me that we're just going to change roles for a seven person company so that we can focus on security? Of course not. They're going to continue to operate as they are. So they're going to have to leverage the help of MSPs. They're going to have to leverage the help of MSSPs. And I would say that I spent a lot of time with MSPs right now, and they're hungry for knowledge because I know that they're coming from an IT background. Most MSP owners, most MSP executives, they come largely come from an IT background. If you did any type of study, I'm sure that the data would say that. And so they're having to learn or hire out for the cybersecurity skills to ensure that they cover all the bases for their clients. I teach MSPs about incident response. I teach MSPs about cyber uh, operations. And so they are actively moving forward, trying to evolve so that they can support their clients. Because you're right, <clears throat> for a while, there, it was just an add-on, but now it's being baked in. You'll have MSP providers that say, hey, I'm not going to support your IT operations unless you also take security along with it because we don't want to be in a situation where you're not covered and we want to give you the best possible service that we can. So we're going to bake that into our offering. And so that's what I'm seeing in the MSP space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a huge area of opportunity, you know, because like you say, there's so much demand for it. Uh, and a lot of end user companies, you know, haven't built their own skills up. Uh, so they're looking to their technical advisors, which, as you say, you know, might have a lot of IT know-how, know-how, general IT knowledge and expertise, but they don't have that cybersecurity deep skill themselves. So, you know, that's an area that I think we're going to be looking at uh, in our outlook report and probably over mm -hmm. the coming year is, 
you know, how, how is everyone fighting over, you know, these limited resources for cybersecurity professionals, you know, and what are the answers in terms of training or upskilling or shifting people from, you know, another function, maybe even a business function into a cybersecurity role? Uh, because like you said before, they're not all purely technical. There can be a lot of parts of cybersecurity uh, right. that can be done without having, you know, this deep, deep technical background. So really interesting space to watch there. As we're uh, wrapping up the conversation, I wanted to come back to AI, which you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, and, you know, which is all that anyone has wanted to talk about for most of the past year. I think some yeah. of that is fading now. I'm sensing a little bit of AI fatigue in the marketplace, but it's definitely not completely gone away. Uh, and, and I think that there are really interesting implications here because as we've kind of described with our conversation, cybersecurity on its own is still a bit of a mystery for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. And now here comes generative AI, which is definitely a mystery for many companies. And a lot of people want to put those together and kind of create double mystery. Um, and there's a lot of potential yeah. and benefit there. But I think there are a lot of hurdles and challenges and things to watch out for. So what, what, what are you seeing in terms of the intersection of AI and cybersecurity moving forward? You know, it's interesting because when uh, I guess, you know, a little over a year ago, maybe two years ago, when generative AI kind of became a big thing, I thought almost immediately that most of my compatriots, the cybersecurity leaders, the cybersecurity pro professionals were going to accept generative AI and, and AI in general with open arms. But that hasn't been the case. Honestly, it's been kind of like a 50-50 split. Everything from, oh, I'm so sick of people talking about chat GPT, which I'm sure like, yeah, on social media, you're seeing a bunch of folks coming out with courses, teaching you how to leverage chat GPT for your personal brand or for creativity. And, and sure, that can be a little bit annoying, I'm sure. But what I'll say is a, a technologist, I see this as being bigger than most. I see this as potentially being bigger than the Internet because it's going to change how we function as a society. It's gonna change how we leverage technology. It's going to amplify our progress. It's gonna speed us up, but it can speed us up in the wrong direction. We have to figure out how do we leverage AI in a way that helps us, protects us. And if we kind of turn a blind eye to it, there are other organizations that are gonna leverage AI and they're going to go leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. The same thing on the attacker side. If they're leveraging AI to do bad things, they're going to outwork someone that's trying to do everything manually. So I would say that as technologists, we have to look at these things as leverages, things that we can pull in order to protect our organization. If I, let's take a, a calculator for instance, if I've been doing everything by hand and then all of a sudden here comes a competitor or here comes an attacker that's leveraging a calculator, they're going to beat me 99.9% .9 of the time. So if we're not leveraging AI, if we don't use AI in our practices and figure out how to do it in a safe and uh, logical way, then we're going to get lost in the sauce. And at the end of the day, it might hurt business. It might hurt us. It might hurt our careers. Yeah, I heard somebody. I heard somebody say once, or recently, at, 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 that you're not necessarily going to lose your job to AI, but you may lose your job to the person who gets up to speed on AI, yep. um, because they spend their time getting to know it. And I think that's good advice. So don't be afraid of the AI itself taking your job, but the person who pays attention to it. So for those of us who are a little weary of the hype. Um, we would, uh, at our peril, though, completely ignore it because I think you're right about it being like the next revolutionary thing in terms of uh, 
technology changing the way we do things in society for good or bad. I don't know, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, Chris, I think we definitely picked the right person to uh, compliment our research for this year. Thank you very much for your insights. It was great to hear from you. And uh, maybe we'll have you on the show again sometime. And then hopefully we'll see you at a CompTIA event or something like that down the road. So really appreciate you being yeah. here. Uh, thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrea McMillan. And Carolyn, glad to see you back safe and sound. And I will talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.